So we're going to start out in the book of Proverbs, and I just want to remind you, um, Proverbs 1.7 is really the theme of the whole book, and Proverbs 1.7 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Father, I pray that you would come and be with us in this time in your word. As the song that we sang said, speak to us, O Lord. Lord, that you would speak to us and that your word would speak to our hearts, God. We open ourselves to you and ask that uh, you would transform us, conform us more into the image of your son, Jesus, so that we could glorify you in the way that you deserve and that your church could be built up. In his holy and mighty name, amen. So, last week we talked about quite a bit in an introduction to Proverbs. And um, I looked down at the recording when it was done, and it was over an hour. And <laughs> so, I think there was, maybe tried to cram a little bit too much in there. And although I did mention an understanding of the fear of God, we talked about the fear of God a little bit, and the men talked about it at our men's group uh, meeting a week ago. Um, last week when we talked about the fear of God, we, I said it was the, the fear of God means that God is your, the overriding reference point of your life. And uh, so we ended last week by looking at um, potential areas of our lives where we put our fear or where the overriding reference point of our life is in something else. Um, so really, we talked last week mostly about what the fear of God is not. So today, I just want to come back, and I think we need to hang out in this idea. I mean, it's the, it's the beginning of wisdom. It's the foundation of so much in the wisdom books. Um, wasn't ready to move on from the fear of the Lord just yet. So um, as if you should ever move on from the fear of the Lord. Uh, so that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, all right, so I want to look at four key verses in Proverbs that mention the fear of the Lord and just talk about four aspects of the fear of the Lord that can help us really wrap our minds around what it, what it is as a concept. Uh, sometimes it's used just as, as a shorthand way of saying the whole of religion, right? A God-fearing person is someone who has a, has a religion. Uh, he's a God-fearing man. It was used that way in sort of a uh, colloquial way in the Old Testament as well. Um, but the first place I want to go, I'm going to give four representative verses in Proverbs and then just kind of fill those out from the rest of the Old Testament. So the first aspect of the fear of God um, is the aspect that people are usually quick to move, <laughs> to kind of brush it aside. And that is like fear, Fear and trembling. Being afraid of God. All right? How many of you have heard someone who's talking about the fear of God and says, well, it's not like being afraid of God. It's like the first thing that people say, well, what's the fear of God mean? Well, it's not like being afraid of God. Yes, it is. (laughs) Do you know who we're talking about here? The fear of God. So Proverbs 9.10 says this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom... And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Now, this is a good bit of parallelism here. The fear of the Lord is is parallel in this verse to 
The knowledge of the Holy One. The Holy One. And so we need to talk about, you can't talk about the fear of the Lord without also talking about the holiness of God. The holiness of God. Basically, the fear of God is the hardwired human response to the experience, the witnessing, the encountering of God's holiness. Okay? This is deep inside of us as human beings, as creatures. You see this response all through Scripture. It's fear and trembling. Okay? It is an existential terror that encompasses our whole being. Okay? You see people in the Old Testament falling down and trembling in the presence of sometimes just one of God's messengers. Not even God himself, just messenger, an angel sent from God to deliver a message. People falling down and shaking with fear. Now, there's some doctors in this room. If someone suddenly fell down and started shaking, what would you think is happening to them? It's some sort of seizure, right? The holiness of God seizes on human beings and causes them to fear. Okay? And and we can't just brush past this aspect of the fear of God. Here's why. It's not to get you to feel all bad, right? It's not to get you to, to, it's not to manipulate you. It's a fact of human existence. He's God. It's unfathomable power. It's unfathomable glory. We cannot wrap our minds around it. Okay? So, God is totally other. Okay, this is another, this is a good word to always associate with holiness. Okay, set apart, separate. He's different. And he's outside, he's totally other and above, high and above anything in the created world. That means anything that we know how to kind of deal with, with our senses. God's totally beyond that. And other than that, and higher than that. He created everything. He created The sun. Can you imagine? How powerful is the sun? Right? The power of the sun, the magnitude of the sun's power is fearful. It's, It's terrifying. When you understand who you are in the presence of the sun, God created the sun and billions of others like it. That's who God is. He did it by going, stars, whoom. That's what he did. He spoke them into existence. And so we cannot say, oh, the fear of God is not being afraid of God. It absolutely is being afraid of God. It's understanding who you are in light of who God is. It's understanding the gap between you and God. We can't really fathom this, okay? We can't even really fathom the sun, right? And the sun is, there aren't enough superlatives in the human language 
to be able to express this. We live in a very safe world, a secure world. We have so many safety protocols, right? And, and we are safety first, right? Well, there's nothing safe about being in the presence of God. Think about, I mean, when I was little, the, the, the most terrifying thing in the world was tornadoes. And just the thought of a tornado and like when the little tornado warning would pop up on the TV, I'd get this pit in my stomach. That's a, that's, that's a little bit of the fear of God. That's a little taste of the fear of God. It's this dread, this, I can't, I can't do anything to stop this thing. If this thing comes my way, there's nothing that anyone can do. And it's totally destructive and can, and can obliterate me. You sense your absolute powerlessness in the presence of an awesome, terrible power. Earthquakes, nuclear bombs. You see some of the, that footage of the nuclear tests and that the mushroom cloud goes up and you just, it's, it's immeasurable destruction. Right? You just see this shockwave go and like giant trees that are hundreds of years old just like matchsticks. And you kind of get a pit in your stomach and this is dreadful feeling. That is the fear of God. That is what humans feel in the presence of the holy. Okay? It's a power and a force against which nothing man-made or natural can even offer one shred of security. It says that when Jesus comes, the mountains will flee from his presence. That's holiness. That's the holiness of God. That's the terribleness of God. The day of the Lord is referred to as a terrible and awesome day. It's not awesome in modern, the modern sense of the word. Awesome. It's not that. It's the opposite of that. It's terrible. It's, right? This is the guy when he looks over and he, in Jurassic Park and they see, the, they see the dinosaur there and they just go, and they just melt that's awe. You, it's, it's, it's involuntary. You, you, can't, you can't control your response to it. Oh, my goodness. So let's let Scripture describe this to us. Genesis 28. This is when Jacob uh, falls asleep on a rock and has a dream about God. Uh, Genesis 28, verse 16. Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. Now, he wasn't like, Well, that was cool. No, it was, oh my goodness, God was here. I could have been killed. I could have been obliterated. 
um, Exodus 3. This is when Moses encounters God in the burning bush. Moses was keeping the flock. Uh, Let's see, verse 2. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Stay away (laughs) and take your shoes off. This is a holy, this is a holy place. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. That's fear. That's not reverence. That's in our attempts to kind of sanitize the fear of God. It was an involuntary reaction. Right? Exodus 20. I wore my slip-ons tonight for that. Verse 18, now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. It's it's the dread, it's that pit in your stomach. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Judges 13. This is when an angel comes to Manoah, the father of Samson. Verse 17. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? So that when your words come true, we may honor you. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah took a young goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord, to the one who works wonders. And Manoah and his wife were watching. And when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that it was the angel of Yahweh, and Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die, for we have seen God. They were afraid. They fell to the ground, and they were sure they were going to die. <laughs> so you can't, you can't say that it's, well, I'm not being afraid of God. 
You're missing a vital aspect of your humanity. Right? If you don't recognize that God has placed something in you that in the presence of divine power, divine holiness, you fear and you tremble. Right? Because you can't fathom that power. You can't see how that can exist and you can survive. That's, that's the sense that you get from the holiness of God. Isaiah 6, so we don't have to read it, but, but you know, Isaiah, what do you say? They're saying, holy, holy, holy. And he goes, woe is me. I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. Right? He sees the holiness of God and then he sees himself. Psalm 119, verse 120. My flesh trembles for fear of you, and I am afraid of your judgments. That's good. We read in the beginning, Psalm 19, it says the fear of the Lord is clean. It's good. And we'll see. So this is just the first aspect of the fear of God. All right? We're going to talk about three others, and we'll get around to what people usually mean when they say, well, it's not being afraid of God. Um, but there's one other thing in the Old Testament that shows us this, and it's um, <clears throat> in First Samuel. Well, it's not. It's well, it's in First and Second Samuel. But the Ark of the Covenant, right? The Ark of the Covenant gives us a great look at this. I mean, you've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, that's. that's I mean, they. It's the holiness of God, right? And uh, even though Steven Spielberg did his best, or was it George Lucas, or I don't know who, who made that movie, Steven Spielberg. They had the best of the best making that movie, and that, that still pales in comparison, you know. But what happened? Don't look. Don't look at it. And the people that look are all But this is where in Scripture that, that whole idea comes from. From uh, 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 5. As soon as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout so that the earth resounded. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shouting, they said, what does this shouting mean? And when they learned that the ark of the Lord had come to the camp, the Philistines were afraid. For they said, a God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us. For nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us. Who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. Right? It's the holiness of God that was causing those plagues. And they said, we know what this God's capable of. And they were terrified. Chapter 6, verse 19. And he struck some of the men of Beth Shemesh because they looked upon the ark of the Lord. He struck 70 men of them and the people mourned because the Lord had struck the people with a great blow. And the men of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? And to whom shall he go up away from us? So they get this thing out of here. So they send it back, right? They capture it and they go, whoa. And then they they send it back. And then in 2 Samuel 6, David himself 
uh, verse 7. And the anger of the Lord, so they're bringing the ark back into the, the town. They are uh, putting it on a cart, and it starts to wobble. We know this story. Um, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died beside the ark. This is one of God's guys. This is, one of, this is an Israelite trying to do something good. And the holiness of God goes... And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. Now this is David. This is the guy who wrote the Psalms. I'm not going to be afraid. I love God. He loves me. David was afraid of the Lord that day because he had witnessed his power. He had witnessed the destructiveness of holiness upon that which is not holy. Right? Holiness, the holiness of God obliterates anything that is not holy. And so oftentimes, <laughs> it's for the good of mankind that God says, no, you can't come in here. If you came in here <laughs> in your current state, you know, waltzing into the presence of God, it's going to go bad for you. And so we've got to keep this in the, back of our, in the back of our heads. Whenever we are talking about the fear of God, we are talking about that sense of awe in the presence of the holiness of God. Okay? You say, well, that's in the Old Testament. Well, let's go to the New Testament here. Matthew 17. Matthew 17, 5. This is during the transfiguration. He's with Peter, James, and John up on the mountain. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. That's New Testament. That's the disciples with Jesus falling on their faces, and they were terrified. Uh, 28, verse 4. I like this one. Behold, there was a great earthquake, verse 2. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing was white as snow because he's holy. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Right? This is just normal dudes doing their job and the holy representative of God comes and they fall down like they're dead. You could go to Luke, beginning of Luke, talk, to, talk about Zechariah going into and Gabriel comes to him and he falls down and he's, he's afraid. You could talk, we, we mentioned it last week about um, Ananias and Sapphira, right? God struck them dead and it says that then everybody, great fear came upon everyone. And I don't think that was polite reverence. That was like, People are dying. They dead. <laughs> I'm afraid. 
People are dying because of this. What's going on here? All right, so that's hardwired in us as human beings as a response to the holiness of God. All right? But here's the thing. Even pagan religions have this sense of the awe. You know, that's why they worship the, the sun. They worship the... They, they recognize that there are, there are powers in the world. There are sources of might that we are powerless against. Okay? That's just a universal aspect of, of human nature. It's not unique to the God of the Old Testament. Most religions have this sense of awe, fear, trembling in the, in the presence of, of the deity. But here's where the fear of God um, really starts to, to become a different idea altogether. Uh, so the, the verse in Proverbs for this one is 1426. 14, and this is the fear of God, strangely, as a source of confidence. Right? Proverbs 14:26. So fear, trembling, scared for my life, existential dread is also a source of confidence. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have a refuge. So the fear of God in Scripture, in addition to being a hardwired response to God's holiness, the fear of God is a source of confidence. And it's actually an antidote to anxiety and earthly fear. And this is because when God reveals himself, reveals his holiness to mankind... Um, he's doing it as a relational God, right? He is holiness. He is holiness in his nature. But his character is that of a person, of a loving person, of a father. So he's a relational being. He's not just a divine force. He's a person, and he has character. And so when he appears in his holiness, mankind is, is rightly scared for their life rightly so but that's why it's it's so great that so often the first thing you hear after someone falls down the first thing god says is fear not isn't that, isn't that awesome you often hear that but you have to note note well <laughs> those who hear fear not are the ones who are on their face all right? Those who don't fear, that don't acknowledge his holiness, that don't respond correctly to his holiness, they don't hear fear not. They hear, watch out. Um, so this aspect of the fear of God really comes through in the Psalms, which makes sense because in the Psalms, man is relating to God in all of his holiness, but as a relational being. And we see mankind... David, through, through, you know, David and others, mankind working out his relationship with the holy, terrible, fearful God who also loves me and wants to bring me into relationship with himself. So the Psalms are a great place to, to watch that interplay happen, okay? Um, 
right in the beginning of Psalms. It kind of sets the tone for this idea in the rest of the book. Uh, Psalm 2, verse 10. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry. And you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Okay? That's true. And that's always true about Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Right? And that means take refuge. That's not... So, like a refugee is fleeing from something awful and saying, let me in. Unless you do, I'm toast. Blessed are those who come to God and say, I'm toast. <laughs> Just let, don't kill me. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. But for God's enemies, for those who don't acknowledge his holiness, they continue in terror and, and dread and just that pit of the stomach feeling. That doesn't continue for the people who they fall on their face, they acknowledge and they humble themselves. They hear, blessed are you. So listen to this in, in uh, all through the Psalms, 25, 14. It's beautiful. <clears throat> 25, 14. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. Wait a minute. This thing that can zap me in an instant is also my friend. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. He makes known to them his covenant. And that's really what separates God from the other fearful deities out there. Right? Because when God comes, he's not just coming in his holiness and, you know, obliterating everything in his path. He comes in his holiness to reveal his covenant, to reveal his character. And that's why those who fall down on their face before his holiness, he says, fear not. Guess what I, guess what I came here for, right? The Son of Man came into the world not to condemn the world, but to save the world. For those who humble themselves and recognize that you need to be saved. (laughs) You need saving or else the holiness of God in the judgment. You should fear the judgment of God. 31.19 Oh, how abundant is your goodness which you have stored up for those who fear you. And worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. In the cover of your presence, you hide them from the plots of men. Now think about that. This is, this is awesome. This is why it gives you confidence. This is why the fear of the Lord gives you confidence. Because the same reason why they rejoiced when the ark came in. Some people rejoiced when the ark came in. And some people said, get it out of here. You rejoice when you realize that that holiness, that power, is for me and against my enemies. You want a fearful God. You don't want a pushover. Right? A pushover God is what causes anxiety. That's really a pagan God. 
A God who, eh, depending on how I feel today, I may or may not bless you. I may or may not rescue you. I'll have to check with my harem up here. Right? That's a pagan God. And of course you'd be anxious. Are they going to show up? We better, we got to make double sure we got double down on the sacrifice. I don't know. I don't know if they're coming today. No, in the cover of your presence, you hide them from the plots of men. You store them in the shelter, in your shelter from the strife of tongues. 85 verse 9. Surely... His salvation is near to those who fear him. That glory may dwell in our land. Salvation is near to those who fear God. 118 verse 4. I'm going to work out with the scripture references tonight. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. That's pretty cool. Hey, if you fear God, you can say, hey, his steadfast love endures forever. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. That is the, that's the beating heart of the Psalms. And that promise, the hope and the rest and the security that comes with that is available to those who fear him. A couple more in the Psalms, 145, 19. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. 147, 11. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him in those who hope in his steadfast love. Right? So the fear of God leads into confidence and trust and covering and peace. All those things are reserved for those who come to that place of, he is it. I am powerful. I am totally dependent on him. And on each of these points, I'm, I'm going to bring in some, a couple New Testament, just so we get a full picture. Uh, Matthew 10, 28. And do not fear those who kill the body. So he's talking to his disciples, Jesus talking to his disciples. They're going out and they're experiencing persecution, opposition. And he says, ah, don't, don't fear them. Don't fear those who can kill the body. And cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So, listen. Don't fear people. Fear the one who's worthy of fear. And now listen. You've got to keep reading. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. 
for you are of more value than many sparrows. Now, guys, don't be motivated by the fear of man. Get your perspective in order and then realize that when you order your life right, when you fear God, and don't fear any of this other stuff, you actually are in a place of you live without fear because you know that he cares for you and that he protects you. We'll go back to the um, transfiguration. Right after they fall down and tremble and are afraid. 17, Matthew 17, verse 7. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus touched them, saying, rise and have no fear. And I love, I love this. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. <laughs> I love that verse. I know it's like a, a detail, but I think it's way deeper than that. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And he said, fear not. And then in Mark six fifty. comes to them walking on the water. And then when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. So they had a sense that there's something otherworldly. Right? The, the philosophical term for this is the numinous. It's the, that realm where it's, we're out of our league here as human beings. They all saw him and were terrified, but immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Their response was right. So Jesus isn't saying, no, don't feel that. Don't feel that terror when I come in the room. He's saying, yeah, that's right. But remember who I am. Right? So we never stop feeling terrified in the, at the holiness of God. But we hear in our terror of the holiness of God, in our fear of his judgments, we hear, fear not. Fear not. All right, the third aspect of the fear of God, Proverbs 16, 6. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for, and by the fear of the Lord... One turns away from evil. So the fear of the Lord is obedience. The fear of the Lord is the hatred and avoidance of evil. So do you see how it moves from a a terror and then a fear not? And then the response to that. So then how do you live in response to a God who could zap you but has said, I'm not going to? Now what? We go and we do what he says. We fear him and we hate anything that's unholy, that's evil. 
There's a lot of this in Proverbs. 3.7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. 8.13. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the way of evil and perverted speech. I hate. 14.2. Whoever walks in uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is devious in his ways despises him. 23.17 Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Don't want what they got over there. You fear God. You know that he, he despises that kind of life. That's the kind of life that brings death and destruction into this good world that he created. Don't don't want to be like that. Want to be like him. Want to live like they live in heaven. And then uh, just to give a little little taste of Job. Job 1.8. It's another, another book of wisdom. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before God, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? If you go back to Exodus 20, where the people are trembling and they're there on the mountain or near the mountain. They're at the foot of the mountain. And they said, no, don't, don't let God speak to us or we'll die. Here's what God says. Moses, Moses said to the people, or Moses said it, do not fear, right? So there's the fear not. Do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. What has he just done? He's just delivered. This is right after he gives them the Ten Commandments. They have a response to his holiness. They hear the fear not. And here's the good news. God has made his will known. Guess what? You have a holy God who wants you to be in relationship with him and has made his will completely known to you so that you can do it. Now this... This is radical to a pagan mind, right? Because we're not quite sure what the will of God is. But we know that they're powerful, and so we try and appease God. This is good news. God has said, here's exactly how you should live. So don't worry. I'm not going to change. I'm not going to want this today and that tomorrow and two cows today and 12 goats the next day. And No, I've revealed If you want to walk with me in a way where you don't have to fear anything, I've given you the way. This is what I'm looking for. So you think about a pagan whose God is powerful and terrifying, but
but you have no idea how to please. <laughs> I don't know what they like. Sometimes, like last year when we did this, and when we did this little dance and sacrificed these goes, then our crops were great. And then the next year we did the same thing and they weren't. We don't know what's going on. All right, so this terrible, great and terrible God has made his will. He's not hiding. He's not obscuring his desires and giving, giving himself the ability to kind of change and do this today and that tomorrow. No, he says, this is who I am. You want to walk with me? You want to live with me? This is what I've said. That's why to fear God, it's a good thing that, he, that we know that his will is known. It's amazing news. But also in this whole idea of obedience in the fear of God. We fear God because we know what he, we know what he wants. We know what actually pleases him. It's very clear to us. But we also come to a place of obedience even when it doesn't make the most sense. Okay? Genesis 22. This is, the, this is a great example. So fearing God means knowing his law and fulfilling his law and having a, a, a deep dread of doing something that would offend his holiness. So obedience to the, to the very clear and known will of God. Um, Genesis 22, verse 12. This is when Abraham has put Isaac on the altar. And God intervenes and he said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to them. Do anything to him for now I know that you fear God. Seeing that you have not withheld your son. Your only son from me. So what does the fear of God say about obedience here? This was, this was a pretty strange command that God gave. Counterintuitive, right? He says, I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give you lots of sons. All right, and then the one son, <laughs> go kill him. Wait, what? This was the miracle child. We can't, we're going to have another one? Then? What's going on here? No, there was none of that. He just went, whoop, okay. It went out. Put him on the altar. And God said, all right, you fear me. Because there was no question. There was no hesitation. There was no, God, can you make this make sense to me before I obey? There was none of that. And God says, you fear me. Because whatever came out of my mouth, you just went and did it. That's real obedience. So ob- obedience in the fear of God means hating and avoiding evil because God's made it clear what's good and what's evil, what he likes and what he doesn't like. But it also means obeying the word of God, the will of God, when it doesn't even really make sense to you. When it's obscured from your immediate understanding. And compliant, even with the most extreme demands. Take your son, put him on the altar. Okay. This begins with the fear of God and is an expression of the fear of God. It's unconditional trust and radical obedience. Okay, so not just checking off the good and bad boxes, but also, all right, if it costs me everything and he tells me to do it, I'll do it. Let's 
stop off in the New Testament along these lines. 2 Corinthians 5. Verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Uh, that talks about the fear of the Lord. There's, there's a better one a couple verses down. Um, oh, seven, verse one. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Let us bring holiness to completion in the fear of God. What is it that spurs you on to greater degrees of holiness in your life? It's the fear of God. The fear of God. Philippians 2.12 Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, So now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We discover what he loves, and we give ourselves to that, and we hate and we avoid and we turn away from anything that God does not like. And that is where we begin, and that's where we end. All right, and the fourth aspect. So we've got fear and trembling is one. Confidence and trust is two. Obedience and and, and holiness is um, three. Holy living. And then the fourth aspect is um, Proverbs 14, 27. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. So the fear of the Lord is how we live a fruitful life. It's how we produce fruit in our lives. Proverbs Uh, 23, sorry, 1923. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. And then chapter 22, verse 4. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. It's a flourishing life. It's the life for which we were created. It's the blessed life of man with God in the garden. The fear of the Lord gets us back to the purpose for which we were created. It leads to blessing and honor and all this stuff, but it begins with a holy dread and an understanding of the holiness of God. 
and my distance away from that holiness. It, it echoes through uh, Deuteronomy, starting in verse, or chapter 5, verse 29. Oh, that they had such a heart as this always to fear me and to keep all, and to fear me and to keep all my commandments. That it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. Oh, I want them to fear me. Because I love that look on their face when they just get so scared. No. I wish they need to know who they are so that they can know who I am and understand the blessing for which they were created to live. That it may go well with them. 6-2. That you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's sons, by keeping all his statutes and commandments which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Flourishing life, abundant life. 624. And he will give their kings into your hand. No, that's 724. 624. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always. That he might preserve us alive as we are this day. So the fear of God is a lifestyle of humility proper to the human creature. That same mechanism that was hardwired in us to tremble and fear and seize in the presence of holiness, that same design leads to, if we maintain and that go all the way and put our trust and obey God, love God, turn to him, take refuge in him, That leads to an abundant life. Because it's a life lived in humility. And humility knows who God is and knows who I am. And nothing will show you who God is and who you are better than the fear of the Lord. Andrew Murray has a whole book on humility. And he says, humility, which is just another, I think the fear of the Lord is a a good way to think about what humility really is. Humility is fearing God. It's knowing your place. It's obeying God. Humility, this is Andrew Murray, he says, Humility, the place of entire dependence on God, is the first duty of the creature and the root of every good quality. Nothing can be our redemption except the restoration of the lost humility. That's where the the moment of terror has to come. God created me to fear him. And I've gone far away from that. And that's, and his holiness plus my sinfulness is really bad news for me. And it, and it begins there. But see, that's where, the, that's where it begins. But it's good news when you get to that place. But you have to get to that place for the news to be good. Does that make sense? Nothing can be our restoration except the restoration of the lost humility, the original and only true relationship of the creature to God. It has to be in humility. So 
So the fruitful life that comes from the fear of God, there's a, a New Testament verse that I like, and it's actually it describes the church. It's beautiful, 931, Acts 931. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace. It was being built up. It was a flourishing life, fruitful life. Walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. That's be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. It happens in the fear of the Lord for the church here. In the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So the fear of God in all of these aspects is you have to understand why it's so crucial. So you see why it's so crucial to Psalms, why it's so crucial to Proverbs. It has to start there. You're not going to understand life. You're not going to have skill to live unless you really start from I'm a man and he's God. I'm a creature. He's the creator. I'm a, I'm a fallen human being, and he's the holy, perfect God. He is mighty and powerful. I am weak and frail and mortal. Right? In all the other ways that God is different than us, we, we have to experience those in as full a sense as we can. And then we begin to understand the glorious news of grace and love and fear not. And it's foundational not just to our faith. You know, it's not just to make me a better Christian. I need a little dose of the fear of God. But, but all of human existence is, is meant to be lived in the fear of God. God's terrible majesty and holiness. The prophets are, are so full of descriptions. of the, when, the, when the Lord comes, listen. <laughs> it's going to be really bad for a lot of people. Great and terrible day of the Lord. So, just to kind of bring it home, one of the reasons I believe that, that sin can persist in our lives is that some part of our heart has been hardened against the fear of God. Right? Holiness is brought to completion in the fear of God. We don't really see... I mean, it's like Proverbs says... And the young man, he follows the forbidden woman. He he doesn't know that he's going to his death. Right? That's someone who doesn't have the fear of God. When something doesn't seem like death now. Right? And that is the lie of Satan. God said, you'll die. And Satan said, you won't die. What was he doing? Don't fear God. That's the hardness of heart that comes from the deceitfulness of sin, as it says in Hebrews. Don't let your heart be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You won't surely die. The psalmist says, unite my heart to fear your name. Don't let there be any part of my heart that doesn't fear your name. The whole thing. I want all my heart to fear your name. Second point, a lack of the fear of God is, is, is also strangely 
It's counterintuitive. It's strangely why I believe that fear and anxiety persist in our lives. You would think it would be the opposite, right? I'm scared of God, scared of judgment, scared to live my life in fear and anxiety. That's not really the fear of God. God's terrible holiness only makes his goodness and his grace that much better. Right? He who has been forgiven much loves much. He who has been forgiven little loves little. He who fears God little has little trust in God's power and might. He who fears God a lot knows this is a this refuge is impenetrable. Does that make sense? So it's, it's a weird game, I think, that Satan plays with us where we, we are anxious and we fear, and what we think we need is a greater assurance of God's love. But more of something that's kind of tepid, it's just more tepid. Does this make sense? More lukewarm fuzzy, it's just more lukewarm fuzzy. But an awareness of, like Job, right? I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear. Now my eye sees you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Perhaps someone who struggles with fear and anxiety doesn't need to love themselves more. They need to see God with their eye and repent in dust and ashes. And I don't mean feel worse about yourself, feel more shame. I mean... Know who God really is. And go, whoa. And at that point, you can, it is the greatest thing in the world when you hear the good news that he loves you. Does that make sense? Sometimes the good news hasn't really been all that good for us. God loves me. Okay, I guess. Well, does he love me today? You wouldn't ask that question. If you had come to that existential moment of, I am undone. And he said, but I love you. What? And you lift up your eyes and there you see Jesus only. You don't doubt his love for you the next day or the next day or the next day. Run to him. Take refuge in him. Flee to him. And then nothing under the sun will be able to come against you. There will be nothing to fear in this world. Nothing. Because you fear him. And in that fear of him, you've heard him say, fear not. You see how it works together? We can't diminish that, the terror and dread. Because then it just diminishes grace. Is, is he a man? Asked Lucy. Aslan a man, said Mr. Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he is the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of beasts? Aslan is a lion. The lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. 
That you will, dearie, and make no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Didn't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. <clears throat> One of the tragedies of American Christianity is taming Aslan. Is trying to attract people to God by making him safer. And this has completely diminished, I think, an opportunity for true repentance. And we need ourselves to experience the terrible majesty of God and his incredible goodness. He's not safe. Ask Uzzah. (laughs) Ask Ananias and Sapphira. But he's good. All right, so we're going to come to the table. And our, our, our meditation tonight is the fear of God. Jude cautions uh, the church. He says this in, cha- in verse 12. He cautions the church about communion or the love feasts. He says that there are hidden reefs at your love feast as they feast with you without fear. They feast with you without fear. And what that means is, essentially, as Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians, when he's talking about the Lord's Supper, that they're partaking of the body and the blood in an unworthy manner. What is the worthy manner? How do you, take, how do you partake of the body and blood of Jesus in a worthy manner? manner in the fear of God in humility right he says for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed he took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me in the same way also he took the cup After supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. If you come at this thing from the the wrong perspective, it's actually bad for you to do it. Right? This is this is the holiness of God. This is holy communion. Holiness is a great thing for those who are desperate and for those who are Fearful and trembling. 
Holiness is a terrible thing for those who persist in unholiness and who think that, yeah, I, I, I think I'm good enough to deserve this. I think, I think me and God are pretty good. That's why you examine yourself. You say, is there anything in me where I, is there any part of my heart that has been hardened by the deceitfulness of sin? Or is there, as the old liturgy says, is there an earnest repentance of sin that, that lives in my heart? That when I find out something in me, when I'm convicted of something, I earnestly repent of it in the fear of God. So, let's, let's examine ourselves. And so the, the meal, this meal is a time for renewing our sense of fear, the fear of the Lord, and the goodness of his grace. Right? So we, we discern the body and the blood. We discern what this means. Why was his body broken and his blood shed? Because that was sin, that's what sin costs. That's what holiness requires for us to appear before a holy God. So there's, I mean, there are so many different reminders, but tonight the reminder is we come to God because his blood was shed to cleanse us from our unrighteousness and to purify us and sanctify us so that we can appear before a holy God and not die. <laughs> Right? And also, not just not die, but really find grace to help in time of need, as Hebrews says. All right, so one more scripture. You get enough scripture tonight? This is our invitation to communion. <clears throat> For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet whose, and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. Even if a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to the Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. This is what we're doing tonight. Did you realize that when we come to the table, that's what we're doing? We've come to <laughs> Mount Zion, the whole innumerable angels and festal gathering. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Father, come, send the Holy Spirit, who is really the only one that can teach us the fear of the Lord. 
the spirit of holiness. Come upon us. Help us to approach the table with fear and trembling. And Lord, in these days, I pray that uh, if anything in us is not quite aware, not, not able to, to respond in the right way to your holiness, uh, Lord, soften our hearts, break through, send your fire, get our attention like you got Moses' attention with the burning bush. And Lord, how you stepped down in so many different times in history so that people could know who you are and experience the fear that leads to trust, that leads to obedience, that leads to flourishing life. Hallelujah. Lord, thank you that we have come to do a sacred thing, sacred thing tonight, a thing that points forward toward the, the new heavens and the new earth. And Lord, we just in humility want to receive this uh, bread and this cup in humility, and may it be grace to us. May we hear in our hearts, fear not, as we come to the table. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, We have, looks like we've graduated from uh, the Lunchables. So uh, just come this way. Be careful, there's no lids on here. And it's, it's grape juice. So be careful, just smile on through, grab a, a, a cracker and a cup. And uh, you can eat it on the way back to your seat or you can go back and, and pray with, with some people around you if you want. Let's come to the table. Uh, one more thing as, as we're coming. You may want to go back to your seat and just kneel at, at, at your seat. I think that's a good way to kind of physically express a proper response to who God is. Uh, so you may want to, to kneel a bit. We're not going Catholic, don't worry. Uh, but you can still kneel in church if, 